Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson beats. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Hello and welcome to an emergency episode of Like a Raven. I'm Antonio Barbera. I told you guys at the end of the episode last week that we would not be back for two weeks until we got into the regular schedule, regularly scheduled programming of how we do things here at Pod Like a Raven, but some things have happened and we want to bring the podcast content to you. Quickly, I'm going to introduce my co-host before we dive in here, Tim Horsey on the East Coast. Tim, what, what's going on? Uh, I'm Deshaun Elliott fan number one. I guess that's what I am now. Uh, besides my favorite safety on the team, Chuck Clark, they're going to make a dynamic duo, which I'm sure we'll get into very soon. But uh, good to be talking to your boys. I wish it was under different circumstances, certainly, but this is something that we definitely have to give to the listeners, so I'm happy to be here. And Jace, how are you doing over there in Los Angeles? Um, doing well. Uh, similar to Tim, did not expect to be doing this episode today. <laughs> um, uh, things have happened very quickly in Raven's world over the weekend. So, uh, yeah, ready to, uh, dive into it. <laughs> so we're going to talk, we're going to dive into the topic that I think everybody's heard about, you know, at, at this point in time, the, the Earl Thomas release from the Ravens. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Lamar Jackson injury mystery surrounding the Coach Harbaugh and the Ravens. 
little news about the fans, uh, and then we're going to get out of here. It's not going to be sort of our, our normal length episode, no random Raven this week, uh, although a recently released Raven may become a random Raven <laughs> in, in years in years down the road. And then we're also going to be joined uh, by Brian McFarland, who is the Raven's salary cap and organizational analyst at RussellStreetReport.com. He's going to come in and help give us some some insight on how exactly the Raven salary cap situation looks after this small bit of news. Earl Thomas released by the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday, two whole days after an altercation with uh, Raven safety Chuck Clark that led to a fight during a practice um, where Earl Thomas apparently threw a punch. The two of us, we've talked about this a lot uh, on the phone, group text, even before this episode happened, but we're going to get into all the little ins and outs of this situation, but I'm just going to talk quickly the the hard news here. An altercation, a fight on Friday's practice, uh, a little bit of news that Earl was sent home that day, uh, some rumors started circulating Saturday about the possibility uh, of Earl Thomas no longer being on the Ravens. I don't think either of any of us thought that was going to happen. And then by Sunday, Earl Thomas officially released because of this reason, and as we'll get into because of a lot of other reasons that have led up to this, as is the case in most situations where a player gets released for, for sort of seemingly minor conduct issues. Boys, I'm, I'm going to toss to you. There's a lot to unpack here, so we're going to try to go in order. But first and foremost, this, the timeline of the events here and what things may or may not have happened leading up to this event and, and why Earl Thomas got released. Tim, why don't, why don't we start with you? Yeah, before we kind of break down, I mean, this was clearly the straw that broke the camel's back. And we'll talk about that in a second because there are some just stories about Earl Thomas <laughs> that have seemed to be surfacing. Obviously, we've known about... Some of the incidents earlier this offseason involving some ladies and his brother uh, that kind of were other issues that we had. But I, I really just want to go to through the kind of, you mentioned it a little bit, Antonio, but uh, and I'll throw it almost right to Jace here. The emotions of this were really weird. I mean, even from my, from my own personal self and then from Ravens Twitter, which any Twitter of any team can be a little ridiculous and reactionary. And it certainly was. And I don't really fault anybody for it because it was, it went from, Oh, it's training camp fights happen. We hear about fights almost every year in training camp. And then you get guys like someone will mention a lot in this episode. I'm sure Jeff Zarebeck of the athletic kind of going at people who were saying that. Cause he was reporting, Hey, this is worse than you think. And saying, this is not just a dust up. Things have happened. And this is the first or this, the latest, excuse me, of many different cases here. And you start to get this creeping feeling. I mean, I'll take you behind the curtain. We were talking about, oh, I don't think anything's going to happen. Like, well, we don't really need to do an episode. Let's see how this plays out because we shouldn't get on here and then the news breaks 24 hours that he's definitely staying or he's definitely leaving. I really thought that it was a little bit of a bust up and then nothing, everything would be fine. But it quickly, quickly, and Jace, I'll turn to you here. It quickly turned into... Oh, this former All-Pro, this probably Hall of Fame safety is not respected in this organization and frankly is disliked by a lot of his uh his former teammates now and I, all of it really just shocked me right off right off the jump. Yeah, and you know, some of the stories we've 
seen come out today are the kind of things you always kind of see rolled out when usually it's when coaches get fired all the you know this is all the bad things they did it's like huh funny you didn't uh no one reported on that for like you know you'll see uh, brett brown philadelphia 76ers coach was fired today and we'll see about i bet 20 stories between espn and the philly inquirer about all the things brett brown did wrong but no one you know said it the seven years he was there but uh um to that end um like you said, uh, I, you know, not being someone privy to that kind of behind-the-scenes information like some reporters may be, uh, certainly did not see this playing out as quickly as it did. Um, it definitely, uh, I, I mean, you guys have nailed it, you know. You don't, especially as quick as they this moved, you don't cut a guy this quickly for one training camp fight. Um it's you know like you said fights happen all the time this was clearly kind of the last straw uh in terms of earl thomas and um i i think in many ways it's pretty stunning i mean if you had sat here when they signed they signed uh earl thomas and mark ingram on the same day last year uh in free agency and if you sat here and said um you know just over you know 13 months later Earl Thomas is not on the team anymore um, I don't think this is an outcome literally anyone would have seen coming I certainly didn't and like you said I didn't see this outcome coming uh as recently as him getting sent home on Friday so uh it's stunning you know especially a guy as good as him and you know he wasn't the all pro Earl Thomas we'd seen with Seattle necessarily last year but he was still pretty good and you don't usually see a guy that a team's paid that is pretty good still was going to be a starter this year, like was going to be their starting safety. Uh, a guy that gets that much money um, just get cut like this. It's it's frankly, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. And before and before you share your thoughts here, Antonio, one thing I would let's for those of you that might not know, we're kind of skating around it here. Some of the incidents that happened and and that shows that. You know, and, and call me purple tinted glasses, whatever you want, but shows how dedicated some of these are, some of these guys are to winning and knowing that this is their window because of the talented team they have around them. Thomas apparently, and this is starting even last year, was late to meetings, was lazy in practice. Um, this, I'll just read some of these uh, verbatim here, coming from Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, reported the Clark incident was quote the last in a string of events in, uh, involving Earl Thomas. And then NFL Network's Mike Silver reported Thomas's issues date back to when he became a Raven. Quote, it was bad last year, too. He was, ma- he was late. He missed meetings. They warned him after he got fined repeatedly, which I don't remember hearing about, to, to be fair. Maybe I just missed that. And he goes, look, at some point this thing, the, this is going to be contract, conduct detrimental. And this is, that's all involving the contract, which we'll get into in a second. That's going to affect your contract. Things picked up right where they left off at this training camp. And not in a good way. To the point where Earl Thomas was asking for more time in between meetings and actually getting on the field because he went to get his car washed. <laughs> the guy was not committed. He got, it, it almost seemed like he was desperate for this payday that he never got in Seattle. He finally got his payday and he just punted, basically. The gif of him in the play- playoffs last year... Basically, and, I, and credit to Antonio for pointing this out in our text group, 
riding Derrick Henry 30 yards down the field and just kind of <laughs> trying to usher him out of the bounds, ra- out of bounds rather than make a hit was disgusting. It's not a winning mentality for a team that has to have that at every level. And you saw that from a guy like Chuck Clark, who we'll get into in a minute, is one of, already one of the more respected players in this Ravens organization. You look at guys like Mark Andrews. This is from Jamison Hensley. On the other side of the ball, talking about Chuck Clark, saying, quote, Chuck has been that guy quietly that guys go to. These guys respect him a ton. He is the leader of that defense already. When that is the guy who you're pissing off because you're not making enough plays or you're just, frankly, legging it, what happened was in this blown coverage in training camp that led to the fight, Chuck Clark gets after him, rips his helmet off and said, you, you're the one, you didn't study this enough, that's why you blew the coverage. And Earl Thomas basically said, eh, it's fine. And it's not. It's not fine. Because that's the play that changes games. And, you know, we'll talk about what it means for the Ravens going forward because I joked about the Deshaun Elliott thing. He still has a load to prove based on the hype around him. But overall, it showed that the Ravens are not about to let – they're not going to let any guy drag them down, no matter the pedigree, no matter the past accomplishments, and frankly, no matter the cost. I, I love this aspect of – things trickling out now that you never hear about in a way i'm i'm almost happy because it shows that the ravens are good at uh the, the franchise is good at trying to be a little bit mysterious with with you know bad issues between teammates that you don't hear about all these things until after the fact but i remember the incident with brandon williams last year and the Ravens media saying that it was slightly odd because it was on the same side of the ball, that it was two defensive players getting into a fight as opposed to offense, defense. I remember little reports that Earl Th- that Thomas was you know struggling to sort of really, really integrate seamlessly with the defense, that he was still learning, that it makes sense. He was you know a guy who spent his entire career with one franchise, moving to another one. There's things to learn, there's things to pick up. Looking at it now, these seem like uh, PR excuses for, well, yeah, the guy doesn't come to practices and he needs to learn a new system, so no duh, he hasn't integrated well into this defense. So, you know, some issues, things you don't expect to have happen with a player of this caliber. You know, the guy had the track record. Uh, had been to, I think he's a seven, still went to the Pro Bowl with the Ravens, which we could push aside that I don't think any of us thought he was that, had that outstanding of a season. But you pay big money for a guy like this because you look at the, the pedigree, you look at the track record, and you think that he'll he'll figure it out as, as things go along. But it seemed instead that things got worse and worse and worse, and excuses sort of ran thinner and thinner. That whole offseason story with with his brother was uh you know we i wouldn't say none of us saw it as a, as a a red flag that we missed in hindsight we acknowledged it was a thing at the <laughs> it time was de- it was definitely a flag of some sort <laughs> but but i guess you know you can't really boy how do i get into this he didn't do anything illegal at the time so you can't really sort of fault him in that sense in terms of cutting it was more of a situation with his with his wife uh doing something illegal as opposed to him but Anyway, you, you tack all these things together, and that's how you have a player be cut and released in, in the span of two days, basically. So it, it seems like something so sudden, and yet it was the accumulation of, of things leading up to that. 
Yeah, and Jace, you, you talked about an all-pro safety and a guy who I don't think made the Pro Bowl before his year with the Ravens, signing on the same day and Mark Ingram and Earl Thomas. You're making bets on saying, hey, one of these guys is going to be gone and not playing next year. You're probably saying the older running back in Ingram, and yet look at the locker room guy he is. Look at the not only on the field but off the field guy he is. Compared to Earl Thomas, who is a complete detriment. It, it, it's On the field, I think he was fine. I think he, I rated him a little higher than I know the both of you did. I don't think he should have made the Pro Bowl. That was clearly just based on who he is um, and his name. But I didn't see those problems outside of a few moments. I mean, that Derrick Henry moment is just... It's embarrassing to go back and look at it. And if you kind of expand that out, it kind of shows maybe this wasn't the right move for this team. And maybe a man who we have given so much credit to for building this roster and for making moves when they needed to be made, cutting a kicker and turning that into a Pro Bowl corner in Marcus Peters, essentially, you know, trading Hayden Hurst, who was the second tight end for a guy in J.K. Dobbins, who at time of recording, has done nothing but lit up training camp, so we'll see how good he's going to be. Jace, how much blame does Eric DaCosta get for this? Because I know there was a piece out. Uh, we were record- recording this on Monday to take you behind the curtain. There was a piece out from Jeff Zarebeck today that kind of detailed some of this. How much blame should the GM that we all love and respect get for bringing in this, um, for lack of a better term, head case? I think a lot, and I think, you know, he's only been – the GM fully for about a year and a half. And I think there's no way to view this other than as, you know, his biggest miss, uh, so far, uh, honestly, just given, um, so, uh, lots of good stuff in, uh, Jeff Zarebeck's piece, uh, on the athletic today. Uh, you know, this was the biggest, uh, free agent contract the Ravens have doled out to an outside player. Uh, and I think the real indictment and why this has turned bad, and this is all per uh, per uh, Jeff Zrebeck, is Thomas didn't really have uh, other offers, certainly close to the realm of the money the Ravens ended up getting him. Uh, if you'll recall, the reason uh, why and another uh, you know cause for concern in hindsight is uh, when we last saw Earl Thomas in a Seattle uniform. He was getting carted off the uh, CenturyLink uh, field, uh, flipping off Pete Carroll uh, and the Seahawks. Um, You know, the only coach he had ever played for in the NFL. uh, Noted defensive back guru. um, But flipped him off while he rode off uh, on a broken leg, which again, you know, in hindsight, you say, oh, well, that probably isn't, you know, great chemistry necessarily. But... um, he did not so entering that offseason after that his leg injury he did not really have uh per Jeff Zrebeck multiple year offers on the table and the Ravens gave him 4 years 55 million and his other solid offer that existed was the Chiefs uh were going to give him reportedly a 1 year uh 12 million dollar deal um so obviously that's a lot more money than any other team was going to give him uh, that's a lot more cash. Um, the other kind of safety the Ravens were looking at in, uh, if it wasn't Thomas and who the Chiefs ended up signing was Tyron Matthew, which, you know, worked out well for Kansas City and seems to, by all accounts, to be a great locker room guy, Tyron Matthew. Um, 
But uh, the other thing that really caught my eye in his Rebook's piece is not only did the Ravens vastly overpay him, it kind of seemed like that was the only reason Earl signed here. Uh, they did... Um, uh, Per uh, Zrebik, uh, Thomas, quote, admitted as much, uh, or uh, excuse me, there was no evidence throughout the free agent process in 2019 that the Ravens were even in on Thomas, uh, Zrebik writes. Uh, he then says, the safety admitted as much at his introductory news conference in Baltimore, acknowledging that he was poised to sign a one-year deal with the Chiefs, and he hadn't even considered the Ravens because he didn't know they were interested. Not only had Thomas not taken a free agent visit to Baltimore before signings, he hadn't spoken to a Raven coach or player. That is a problem, uh, in hindsight, if you're giving uh, the richest contract to a guy not on your own team in team history as a free agent anyway. Uh, um, yeah, that's an issue. Uh, and it clearly seems like they probably overpaid him because they didn't want him to go to the Chiefs, is how I read that. Because why else would you, you know, do such a thing as give a guy this much it's just the whole thing clearly in hindsight was a big misread and uh definitely doesn't seem like the ravens prepared on their end to you know investigate the kind of locker room guy earl thomas is and it seems like you know Pete carroll and uh john harbaugh are very different types of coaches uh carroll you know a lot more laid back kind of uh, hardball, a lot more kind of structured. So in hindsight, especially not having talked to anyone at Seattle, it seems it, it seems like they just didn't, you know, do the work necessary um, to figure out if he would fit with John Harbaugh and with the overall team structure as a whole. Um, so I know I've rambled, but I do think it was a massive kind of misread. Uh, by Eric DeCosta, and it has to fall to him, ultimately. He was the one who got this deal done. It seems like a panic, is what it seems like. It, it's it's jarring to hear that they weren't even really that interested, and then they probably got whiff of the Chiefs, so they went, four years, 55-32 guaranteed, which is insane. Um, with hearing all of that, DeCosta seems good enough at this job that he's not going to make that same mistake twice. I think... In And again, this sounds Homerish, but credit to the Ravens for seeing this problem. And when it finally broke and when they finally saw it, they weren't trying to put it under the rug. They, they know the cap hit. And Brian McFarlane, who knows way more about that stuff, is going to talk to us a little bit later about the impact it has on the salary cap and the financial side for the Ravens. But they looked at that and they said, we don't even really care. We got to get this guy out of our locker room. And in a weird way, it almost shows the togetherness that locker room has because they all were very much and, and the trust that the organization has in their players to be like, look, we know this guy's talented. We know he's got a pedigree. We know it's going to cost a, a bunch of money to cut him, but this guy is detrimental to what we're trying to do. And that is win a super bowl. So do what you can to get rid of him. And, and, and he went after a, t a who look, I love Chuck Clark. I did not realize until the story came out how much everyone else in that organization <laughs> respects him. There's a reason he got the green dot after starting, like, what, two weeks into the season? So, you know, a, a horrible mistake. And I think that DaCosta would own up to that if you, if you had him in a private room. But good on the Ravens for doing what they could to turn that around quickly and try and get, you know, 
season potentially starts in a couple weeks here. So trying to get rid of that as soon as possible and, and move on. Last thing I'll say here on DaCosta quickly is that this is hopefully a lesson for him. I mean, this whole, Jace, that whole timeline of events with the Chiefs is funny to me because it reads backwards in, in every normal conversation about how the Ravens do business, is that they want to give a one-year, two-year deal to a veteran, and either they do get that player or that player signs for way too much money somewhere else, or their own player who's on their second contract who they're prepared to give two years, three years to, ends up going, you know, they let them walk out the door and get that giant contract somewhere else. So I, I, I don't think it's coincidental that this type of thing happened with DaCosta in his first year really taking over uh, in the decision-making. It seems unbelievable to me that you would agree to this type of deal and this type of money in that situation where you're not, you know, meeting with the player or having him meet other people on the team. And coming off of the broken leg aspect, which we didn't even touch on about, you would think a veteran coming off a big injury to a new team would put in extra time, uh, you know, or at the bare minimum, the normal amount of time. And it seemed like he didn't do any of those things. And this, this latest, you know, altercation with Chuck Clark was, yes, it's the straw that broke the camel's back, but it's also... You know, this is me speculating, but that's also here's an opportunity to release this player and not lose as much money as we would have if we weren't able to say that this was conduct detrimental to the team. We're going to get into that in a minute um, because Tim and I were, were fortunate, and we've teased this already a few times, but we're fortunate to, uh, to, to reach out and, and talk with Brian, uh, who works at RussellStreetReport.com. And we wanted to get his take uh, on how this is going to impact the the Ravens' salary cap, you know, today, tomorrow, and and three years from now. So we're we're gonna uh, jump to that clip uh, in a few moments here, and then come back to to wrap up this episode. So here's Tim, uh, myself, and Brian McFarland from RussellStreetReport.com. Hi, Brian. Thanks for joining us. Before we get started with the discussion on Earl Thomas, can you explain a little bit about what you specialize in for Russell Street Report? Sure. I'm, I'm the salary cap guy. Um, I kind of picked up doing salary cap uh, all the way back in 2002 when uh, the big purge happened um, after the Super Bowl, uh, or the two years after the Super Bowl, and they cut half of the team. And the Baltimore Sun kept saying they had to do it for cap purposes. Well, most of us, even the ones who can go all the way back to the Colts, there was no cap, so we didn't know what that meant, and the Sun did a very good job of explaining it, to be honest with you. So I started paying attention to it, hit message boards, and then Tony Lombardi uh, was, was, was then Ravens 24-7, picked me up uh, off of his message board and asked if I wanted to start writing, and I've been doing this, uh, that, was, uh, that was 06, so I've been doing this uh, for Russell Street for 14 years now, um, so i now, this is generally my slowest time of the year, unless something like Earl Thomas getting released happens. Um, but, uh, yeah, usually um, when it's a good season, not till January, we don't start talking about next year's cap. But if it's a, if it's a bad season, that's good. That's, uh, those conversations can start in October or November during the season. And uh, we start, I start previewing the next year. And then, obviously, when free agency comes, um, you know, it's a big deal then, uh, you know, getting everybody up to date. And I'm uh, at Raven Salary Cap on Twitter, and I'm always posting stuff there as far as uh, updates. And, you know, as things happen, I try to keep everybody updated as, as, as best I can. 
And that is the spot to go for a Ravens fan. Simply, if you want to know about kind of the cap numbers and how this stuff breaks down. And as I'm sure we'll get to soon, because as Antonio has been saying for weeks, sign Jadavion Clowney, sign Jadavion Clowney. And you're the man that tells us why that can't always happen. Um, But before we kind of get into the numbers and breaking that stuff down, I just want to know initially what you made of this news. We talked about it a little bit before, uh, as the listeners will hear earlier in this podcast of kind of shock, but then all these stories leak out as they tend to do when a high profile player gets cut or traded. So just as a fan reporter, um, you know, cap analyst, what did you make of this news initially? Well, I mean, it had to be pretty serious. Uh, You know, given the numbers we're going to start talking about, um, teams don't, you know, guys are making a lot of money and the guys who have, you know, some seriously adverse cap implications of, of letting them go, um, you know, they get extra breaks, <laughs> you know, they, they get, they get a lot, they get a lot of chances. Um, and, you know, as this stuff has come out, certainly it seems like he was getting a lot of chances. So, um, and I guess, you know, if the reports are accurate that the, his teammates wanted him gone and certainly nobody today, the ones that were interviewed said anything about, um, yeah, I'm sorry to see him gone or anything like that, or he's a good dude or anything like that. So, I think obviously it ran, it ran pretty deep um, and, you know, the, the, the punch and maybe even more so the posting the video uh, from practice, which is a big no-no. I'm not sure it revealed anything, but just the fact that he did that, um, you know, if, there, if, there was, if the punch wasn't the last straw, I'm, I'm imagining that was. So we heard a lot, the, some, the term fly around in regards to, Thomas's dismissal from the team being as uh, conduct detrimental to the team. So can you discuss how that applies now as we get into the nitty gritty of how this is going to work against the Ravens salary cap, that distinction versus a different situation of, of releasing a player at this stage in their contract? Right. Well, if, yeah, that, that's a very important because he has a $10 million guaranteed base salary as the last part of his guaranteed money. Uh, from his $55 million uh, contract. So that's important because um, conduct detrimental to the team can void the guarantee. So that's clearly their wording was done exactly. I mean, almost followed the the language of the contract, I'm assuming. Um, So that's the key there is that they are are basically putting out there that we're cutting you and we're voiding that guaranteed money. If that guarantee, if that if they weren't voiding it, he would he would he would count 15 million against the cap, and that's actually what he was supposed to count um, this year anyway. Um, and that's uh, his five million dollar bonus proration from his uh, one fourth, which is one fourth of his uh, 20 million dollar signing bonus, and then the 10 million um, in guaranteed base salary. So if it, so if there wasn't conduct detrimental, it would be a wash. Um, but by um, claiming that they're trying to avoid having to pay that. And of course, the next step then is, is that uh, um, we can expect a grievance um, from Thomas. Um, so initially, um, the, if they avoid that, that $10 million, then his $15 million uh, salary cap number would drop to five. So that would create 10 million in cap space. Once he files a grievance, um, and, and I'm sure that's gonna happen, then four million of that ten million hits the cap, uh, because under the CBA, 
when a grievance is filed, 40% of the grievance amount actually has to count against the cap. Um, and so it's probably a way from, from keeping teams to spend it, from spending all of that money uh, and then all of a sudden having to, oh, now you owe $10 million. Well, at least, you know, you, right. we're trying to protect yourself from, you know, protect yourself or protect you from yourself. Right. So, um, so that, that then means that he will count. So right now he counts only $5 million against the cap this year. There will also be a charge of $10 million next year um, because this is after June 1, and that's the way the accounting goes because there's still the other two pieces of that um, $20 million signing bonus, the two other $5 million. So that's going to count no matter what next year. Um, but for this year, right now, it's $5 million. As soon as he files the grievance, that will jump to $9 million, which is still his cap number is going to be 15. So at least for this year, that it, for all intent and purposes, that's going to be a $6 million savings. Although at some point they may have, may have to account for that if he wins the grievance. Um, but for this year, that's probably, it's probably unlikely to be an issue because grievances like this are generally heard during the off season. Um, you know, they don't want to take players away from their team and practice and things, game planning and things like that. Um, so, and just, they need time to get all their facts together and things like that. So the grievance probably won't happen until the off season. So for this year, uh, it's pretty safe to say that there's going to be a $6 million savings. Um, but again, they may have, if they lose if or maybe I should say it the other way, if Thomas wins his grievance, then they will have to account for that on next year's cap or the year after if it even takes that long. Wow. Yeah. So if he wins, that could be a bit of a risk real quickly. I know it might not be completely your area of expertise, but what do you think the likelihood is that he wins that grievance? Because if they save the 6 million and the Ravens are pretty good about dealing with the cap, but if they maybe try and sign somebody or don't factor in that, let's call it a penalty for lack of a better term into next year's cap in 2021, that could kind of come back to bite them. So what do you think the likelihood is that he wins this grievance and then in 2021, we're adding that 6 million to that year's cap number? Yeah. I mean, I would think they would account for that next year and hold that back sure. so that they don't get blindsided by that. And hopefully it would be decided before, uh, you know, before they have to make any major decisions, but um, the likely, you know, this is, this is kind of a, from what I'm gathering, this is a, you know, case of first impression to an extent, the NFLPA is going to fight it hard because they don't want a precedent of missed meetings and, and punches being precedent for avoiding guaranteed money. Uh, you know, they're, so they're going to fight this very hard. I assume the Ravens have, uh, you know, have their ducks in a row on this. Now, there's another component to this, which we can get into in a second, uh, that, that, he has, that he has offsets in his contract, which, which may affect this. Won't affect the grievance because the, the NFLPA is going to fight this. Now, if, if there's a lot of stuff out there, maybe the NFLPA doesn't fight it as hard because they don't want the precedent. Because if the Ravens win, it's a big precedent for, for teams. So, uh, obviously... You know, I mean, that, that's why the that's why the missed meetings are coming out, and that he he missed a uh, walk through or whatever it was, or he was late because he was getting his car washed. And you know, I don't know. I mean, it, I don't know if his teammates are going to want to testify against him, so to speak. But certainly, if the players don't want him around, I think that I think that buttresses the Ravens. They're they're not. We just don't want this guy anymore. We're just trying to avoid paying him. This is his teammates don't want him, and we and they forced our hand. We we had to do this because of 
it had just gotten to a situation where he caused too much trouble and that's his fault, not ours. Um, so, I mean, that, you know, that, that's, so, I, you know, the Ravens have not historically done well in grievances. Uh, the TO grievance didn't go in their favor. Uh, the Ray Rice didn't go in their favor. Um, they've had, they've had other minor ones that we've never heard any details on, you know, and a guy got injured and they cut him and should they put him in all, put him on IR. I mean, there's still a couple hundred thousand here and there. So we never hear about those, but there's a couple of those a year. Um, some resolved in their favor and some not. But these, these kind of big issues like this, it's going to be interesting uh, how it comes down. It's crazy to think about players on the team not wanting to testify. I feel like we heard very little in the last year about dislike between players, players and Earl Thomas on the Ravens to the, to the point where they might not want to testify. You mentioned the, that offset language. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a question I wanted to ask. We have a player in Earl Thomas who is still in theory, you know, maybe in the latter part of his prime, made the Pro Bowl last year, is going to probably be desired by a lot of teams in the NFL, even with, um, you know, the quote-unquote character issues notwithstanding. So can you describe what that offset language uh, means in, in his contract and how it will, in theory, help out the Ravens financially? Sure. So usually um, offset language is only for the first year. So it would only generally be for 2020. And that means that if he were to go somewhere and get a $5 million, and it's usually just salary, not bonuses as well. So, um, so if he were to get a $5 million salary, then the Ravens, that would offset the $10 million. And the Ravens, if he won the grievance, would only owe him $5 million. Um, and offsets are really big in rookie contracts, first round draft pick contracts um, as a way of, of essentially making sure that guaranteed money is guaranteed, uh, fully guaranteed. Um, and it's rare, I mean, it's rare that a top 10 or top 20 you know, draft pick is going to get cut anyway, but if they really bomb out, then that offset language is there. And um, this is the first, and, and may, there may be other Ravens that have this kind of language in their deals, but this is the first one because it's ever, the first time it's ever become an issue. But uh, I was able to get a, a copy of his contract and the language that the Raven in, in his contract is even more extensive. So it is salary, bonus, workout bonuses, you know, basically all income um, that he would receive from another team over what would be the life of his contract with the Ravens. That's the next three years. So, and so that, and I've, you know, I, I do this and I know a lot of other guys that kind of do this on as, as amateur pathologists, so to speak, and nobody's ever seen language that extensive before. Um, so if that reading is correct, that means if he makes 10 million over the next three years, then that, that offsets the 10 million the Ravens owe him and they don't owe him anything. So this is an issue. It's not going to be resolved anytime soon because it could be over the three. It could take the three years for him to get the 10 million. I don't think it will. Um, but so that that's important because, um, you know, now uh, people have said, well, what if he just plays for the veteran minimum for three years? Well, I mean, he could take that chance, but he, if he loses the grievance, he gets the, he gets the minimum over the three years. So I can't imagine he's going to, he's going to do that. Uh, you know, he's going to try to, I mean, he's going to get paid and hope he can double dip, you know, and, and, and well, so this year, 
I'm guessing he's only going to play on a, on a one-year deal. I don't think this, this $10 million is going to be resolved this year. I could see him getting around $5 million from somebody. Um, he's, he's going to want to rehabilitate his image. There's not a lot of teams with money out there right now anyway. Um, I mean, there are, but, you know, a lot, of, a lot of teams already have their rosters set. They're not necessarily looking for, uh, for you know, a starting star caliber safety. Um, so my guess is he's going to take a one-year deal, get as much as he can on that one-year deal, be a good soldier, and then hit the market next March when the market's more flush with money and teams are, you know, fixing their rosters and starting to fix their rosters for the next year. That's, I, I find it very interesting that you talk about not having seen offset language to this extent in many contracts because we talked earlier in the show about how it seemed like the Ravens sort of leapt at Earl Thomas with a very large contract when maybe there weren't a ton of other suitors at the time. Um, and it was sort of like sight unseen, sort of like buying a property sight unseen. And so I wonder whether or not this offset language to this length uh, you know, was in part because of how that deal sort of got done with Thomas. And it, it could be, um, you know, like I said, this has never been an issue before. So maybe that's standard language they put in all of their big deals and we just didn't realize that. Mm -hmm. It does seem to be more extensive than, um, than, other, um, you know, than, than other contracts or that at least other people's experience when this has come up. Um, you know, Antonio Brown, um, you know, his, his deal with the, with the Patriots and, and the Raiders and the, his grievances and things seems to be more extensive uh, there as well. Of course, he hasn't even played again. So, um, you know, so that, but he did start playing with the, with the Patriots after the Raiders. So there should, you know, the offset language there only seem to be for the first year. Um, so, um, so we'll see. I mean, you know, none of this is going to be resolved anytime soon. And by the time it's resolved, all of a sudden there's going to be a change on the Raven salary cap, and it's probably not going to be announced. Nobody announces these things, um, you know. And now, since he's a bigger ticket item, maybe you know, maybe somebody will get wind of it in the press and, and throw it out there. But there's going to be a change, and it's going to be okay. What what happened to the, the cap? And I may be the first one to notice because I'm the one paying attention to cap all the time. And what happened here? They just got four million. Well, I can figure that one out. Um, that's the four, they're getting the four million back, so they must have won. Or, you know, if it's, if it's six million, then that could be an issue. But again, the offset's going to factor in there somewhere, because I'm sure he's going to, I mean, he's going to play somewhere this year and next and, and the following. So you talk about, and again, I should mention before, Brian wrote a great piece on Russell's, Russell Street Report. I'm going to get that out. Uh, we're going to tweet it out at Pod Like a Raven on Twitter with the show link for today's show if you want to check it out there. Um, it breaks everything down here in a way that if you need it read in front of you, like I do sometimes five or six times, I would say, uh, to really break everything down. It's, real, it's a really great reference. Um, I kind of have two questions rolled into one here. One, do you expect the Ravens to – we kind of talked about this a little bit, but do you expect the Ravens to use this money to improve this team this season that clearly has a, a window – with the, rate, with the quarterback, the MVP on the rookie deal that everybody talks about. And two, and this actually came from uh, Jace, our co-host who can't be with us while we record this section here. Because you said you really don't know how long this is going to take, and this could be strung out maybe over a couple of seasons, is there any chance this affects the Ravens trying to do 
those mega extensions that are coming up soon with guys like Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey, Lamar Jackson down the road. Is there any chance that this sort of affects those in any way? Probably not. Um, you know, obviously they, the next, next year is the big issue because of the caps going to drop, um, you know, because of no fans in the stadium, et cetera, et cetera, this year. So, I mean, that's, that's the issue there. Um, and that, and that right in and of itself is going to affect deals. I, in my opinion, Thomas was probably gone next year anyway, um, because they're, you, they're going to have to look for places they can get more money for deals like Stanley. Um, and maybe Judon, if they're going to bring him back, but Stanley would seem to be the priority there. Um, so Thomas next year was set to, was set to count uh, 16 million. He'll count uh, the 10 now pending the, the grievance. But um, so there is a $6 million savings there, which I think was going to be a move they were going to make anyway. Um, they could even have processed that post June one and split that 10. So they could actually have saved 11. They can't do that now. Um, so they could have gotten a little more favorable treatment next year. But, um, you know, the offsets are going to be the key. And that's, that's something that um, perhaps gives them a little more. I mean, it, it, in the end, they could lose a grievance and still it not even matter. If he makes $10 million over the next two years, for instance, I mean, they're going to be like, hey, you know, we can lose the grievance here. We don't even care about the grievance, you know, because he, he, we don't owe him the money. Um, and by the time, you know, that, that may well be resolved by that time. If he makes $5 million this year and $5 million next year, then they'll probably just postpone the grievance until he finishes you know, 2021, he's made 10 million, then we don't know it. And nobody cares about the grievance because nobody, neither side may want the precedent. You know, we don't, we're not sure how this is going to turn out. So we're just going to punt. So th I think that maybe there's a confidence there in that piece of it that, that makes this uh, not as big of a deal. Um, I'm sorry, that was the second part of your question. The first part. It's all right. It was a long one. I get it. No worries. Um, what was the first part though? The first part more of in terms of this window, this oh, off season, right. do you see them maybe improving the team? Obviously, the joke that we've made on this show for weeks now, and Antonio specifically, is Jadavion, ask. Jadavion Clowney. The price tag keeps going down. It keeps going down. And maybe not something to, to that degree, clearly. But do you see them using this money in this window to improve this team? You know, part of it will depend on injuries. Obviously, the Ravens' motto is right player, right price. Um, if Clowney's price keeps coming down, he very, mel very well may fit that. Um, the, the, the issue, though, is before this, they had six, a little under $7 million. Um, now they're going to have a little under uh, um, 12 or $13 million. Is that right? Yeah, yes. $13 yep. million. So, um, so um, I'm, I'm not really good with math, actually. Um, so, so um, but the issue also is when, when the season starts, the roster goes from uh, right now we're under the rule of 51, so only the 51 top cap numbers count. Once the season starts, that goes to 53. IR counts, practice squad counts. Uh, practice squad is 14 players this year as opposed to 10 in the past, plus everybody got a, they get a bump in their salary. Um, and uh, this, this, this year – Teams can bring players up, activate players to make it actually go from 53 to 55 on game day. Any player that's brought up, their, their practice squad salary would, would then jump up to a regular salary. So 
the six million they had may not have even been enough to get through the season. Um, because when you have injuries, guys go on IR, you got to sign new guys. Um, they've already got basically three guys on IR right now already. Um, and, you know, so, and, you know, unfortunately injuries happen. So I, my inclination, unless the, the sweetheart deal comes and there may be some veterans they bring in, you know, I mean, because you can bring in a veteran. It's not going to make with some of these, uh, some of the uh, veteran salary rules, you can bring a guy in, you pay him the veteran salary, but you're paying him like a second year player or for the cap purposes, he counts as a second year player. Um, so they, they, I mean, that's how Fluker came in. Um, that's how the, uh, Barner, they just signed a running back. They just signed. So a lot of those guys, they hit and they don't even make an impact on the cap. Um, so that's, I mean, so they've got some of those kind of deals. They always are looking, obviously. Um, you know, if Clowney says I'll play for 4 million, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I don't see that happening. He's also, he's also going to go and get, uh, you know, he's going to take whatever money he can get, the best deal he can get wherever that is and try to play his rear end off and, and then, you know, hit the market next year and say, look, I was a good soldier. I did everything I can look at my stats, you know, sign me to a big deal. So and he's only going to get a one-year deal at this point. So I never say, you never say never. I mean, they've, we never thought, not maybe not a good example, but we never ever thought Earl Thomas was going to be signed. So, <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, that, that kind of thing can happen, but uh, obviously, and they could always restructure a deal if they needed to, to create more space, but you got to remember next year, you're going to have a, you know, a huge drop in the cap. Um, so having that extra money to carry over next year um, would not be a bad thing, regardless of the, uh, of the actual, the grievance itself, but just having an extra 6 million. So now you're, um, you know, you're hundred or you're, um, you're, you're um, you know, it's just, it's just adding that 6 million to your 175 million cap if that's where it ends up. Sure. Yeah. I didn't even know about, you know, you have to factor in practice squad guys and, and guys like that, where yeah, it almost seems like this, this was a, in a very weird way. And this is probably the wrong term for it, a blessing in disguise in terms of the cap, because it seems like the Ravens were right up against it with that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. Every, I do, it seems like I do an article every, uh, you know, every late August is what happened to all of our cap space. Because, right. You know, the more guys that go on IR, that's just, that's just, you know, I mean, one, uh, like three years ago, you, you know, you're, you got your 53 man roster and at that point, 10 guys on the practice squad. So at your minimum, you're going to have 63. They had over 80 players on the roster um, or close to 80, I guess, because they had so many guys on IR um, and PUP, same thing. They're, they're all counting as well. So, um, you know, that's it. Some it, it, And sometimes you got to restructure a deal late in the year just to create enough space. Right. Um, and hopefully you don't have to do that because, again, that's just adding a little more to, to next year uh, when they, they really are going to need cap space. They're under that 175 right now, which is good, mm -hmm. uh, but they're not comfortably under. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Sure. Yeah. Um, I want to we talked about this a little bit um, and we mentioned it earlier in the program. As kind of you alluded to, uh, almost in a joking way, of we didn't expect Earl Thomas to be signed by the Ravens. Uh, we didn't expect him four years, fifty-five million. Uh, what was it? Thirty-two fully guaranteed. The largest contract for a player that outside of the organization to come into the organization. Um, Jeff Zarebeck wrote today in the Athletic. Antonio mentioned it, or as we record this, I should say today. Um, in The Athletic, a great piece by him about, and Antonio mentioned it, how it almost seemed rushed, how 
there was no no other long-term deals for Thomas. And basically he was going to go to the chiefs on a one-year deal. And the Ravens swooped in with a massive deal to almost pry him away. And they end up getting Tyron Matthew, which that's turned out very, very well for them clearly. Um, so I want to turn to a guy who we praise rightly so a lot on this show. And I think everybody in the Baltimore community does, and we've been blessed to go from Ozzie Newsom to Eric DaCosta. But in your opinion, how much blame should he take for this? Or does this, is this deal kind of a black mark on his record? Because, again, hindsight is completely 2020 on the, and all this. And maybe everything looked good. But according to the report by Zarebeck, Thomas never spoke to any players, coaches, nothing. They just kind of scooped him up and hoped for the best. And clearly it turned out to be the worst. Yeah, for a team that really is, you know, renowned for doing their, you know, their legwork and their, you know, their investigating it did seem like, and obviously Jeff, you know, Jeff got his, you know, finger on the pulse there of, of what happened. Um, and it, it certainly, you know, it certainly does seem that way. Um, you know, I, at this point, they've, you know, it, it's better to cut your losses. So, you know, as opposed to going to the season and just have breakdown after breakdown after breakdown because he's freelancing. He, he seemingly from, you know, you hear the reports and last year he struggled so much because it was such a different defense from what he played in Seattle. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like they, they really didn't do their full homework on him. Um, not that, you know, I mean, he's a professional, we ought to be able to adapt, but um, clearly the way he played was not the way they envisioned him playing or what you know, the role they wanted him to play. And, that's where apparently, I mean, Ed Reed freelanced a lot too, obviously. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, players used to, you know, they're always, you know, all that, you know, that's Ed being Ed. But, um, and no offense to Thomas, but he's not Ed Reed. Um, so, and, and Reed could make up for it, you know, the next drive, you know, by taking it to the house. So, um, you know, and, and so I, I think the biggest issue there is it just does not seem like they did their, their homework on him. And, I don't know from the from his reaction, you know, the giving the finger to the sideline in Seattle after he broke his leg, and it just seems like the guy turned. The guy's different, and there was I'm trying to think who there was one of the national reporters kind of alluded to that that maybe there's something else going on here. I mean, obviously the whole issue with his wife and that craziness, and you know, it, it just you know it just seems like. I don't know. It's something, none of this kind of stuff apparently happened in Seattle. Um, and then uh, until the end, and, you know, hating Pete Carroll and all of that. So I don't know. Maybe, and then, but that's also part of the homework. You know, well, right. you know, what is this guy all about? And, but yeah, I mean, if you don't, you didn't bring him into the facility, you didn't, you didn't sit down with them. You know, I mean, obviously this year with COVID, they couldn't do that kind of stuff, but they certainly could then. So it did seem, it certainly does seem like it was rushed. And, and certainly, yeah, it's, it's a black mark because, um, you know, you're relying on the grievance, you're re- to win the grievance, you're relying on, um, you know, you're relying on the offsets, which is a good thing. But still, he's got, it, it, best case scenario, you still have $15 million in dead money between this year and next year. That would be, you know, really helpful to have. Ryan McFarland, Ravens, salary cap, and organizational 
analyst at russellstreetreport.com. Please follow him on Twitter at Ravens Salary Cap. Brian, thank you so much for joining us and uh, maybe diminishing my uh, ongoing uh, <laughs> flame for the possibility that Jadavian Clowney could sign with the Ravens. But thank you for bringing uh, some, some numbers and some realism to the table here. Uh, thank you for having me on. The last thing I want to touch on with this Earl Thomas news, and that was you know, great, great insight from Brian. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Is the, how the team moved forward from this answer very quickly, uh, which I, you know, I think the three of us would agree speaks to how big of an issue this was in the locker room. So I want to turn to you guys now and just, you know, uh, Marlon Humphrey had a photo very, very quickly on Instagram about, uh, I think it was him and Deshaun Elliott and just sort of, uh, the photo essentially alluding to the fact that they're ready to move on. Uh, Deshaun Elliott was immediately sent to one of the Ravens press conferences where the Ravens select a few players to go talk to the media and surprise, surprise, Deshaun Elliott was one of the first ones there ready to talk about his new role. So I'm just going to turn to you guys now and thoughts on, uh, how uh, the team moved on from this remarkably quickly. I, uh, am impressed. They definitely have, uh, you know, rallied behind this guy and, you know, Harbaugh said all eyes forward, basically, when they asked him about cutting uh, Thomas yesterday. So he, or uh, Saturday, I forget when he talked about, whenever it was heading that way. But uh, they are all in a line. They do not seem to be dwelling on cutting uh, Earl Thomas. They seem to be, uh, you know, aligning behind Deshaun Elliott. And it's great to have you know, faith in your guys, but I will just say for myself, I have concerns, um, because as much as we've talked about Earl Thomas, um, I just know a lot more about how good of a football player he is relative to Deshaun Elliott. Deshaun Elliott has played six games in his NFL career and he has six tackles. Um, so, you know, regardless of was Earl Thomas actually Pro Bowl good last year, he was pretty good, uh, still. And there is a reason a lot of times, you know, uh, he might, his interception numbers and his big plays probably weren't what we, you know, not the all pro you anticipate seeing kind of thing, but, uh, you know, there's a several games where you never noticed him at all. And it's cause you know, his entire third of the field, they were just not throwing the ball towards. Uh, so I think he, he, he Earl Thomas is still a good football player for all his clearly, uh, locker room faults. Um, <laughs> And I just don't know that you could say the same about Deshaun Elliott. So I, while I appreciate the team having his back and supporting him, um, you know, it's good they have faith, but we're just not, we have no real way to know until, you know, he gets out on the field and without a training camp or a pre, uh, preseason games, rather, we're not going to know until the games count for real, if he's uh, good enough to do this or not. So I'm concerned, uh, I'll say, but, uh, at least the team seems to have faith in him, so there's that. Right. Not to tread too much on the same territory. Um, I think what we talked about at the beginning of the episode of how big of a problem this actually was, I think you saw it with the amount of people. Chuck Clark going, I don't want to talk about this guy anymore. I'm moving forward. You know, Deshaun Elliott clearly excited in his <laughs> new role, saying that he's ready to make a ton of plays and stuff. But you, And then you even saw – and. and you should expect this, obviously. Clearly the guys are still on the team. But like I referenced earlier, Mark Andrews on the other side of the football 
referencing how much everybody loves Chuck Clark. Deshaun Elliott said, Chuck's my guy. He's one of the leaders in this locker room as well. On the field, I also have said concerns. Um, (laughs) As Harbaugh put out in his press conference on Monday on Deshaun Elliott, quote, yes, he likes to talk. It's a good thing most of the time. Deshaun Elliott, in in his two seasons, excuse me, in the league, this will be his third year, in his two seasons in the league, has been placed on injured reserve twice uh, in his rookie year in August with a fractured forearm. And last season, like Jace mentioned, he played a couple games. And then in October had uh, put on injured reserve with a knee injury. Track record, not great. Um, I will say on the field as well, it's been reported that Jimmy Smith has been getting some reps at safety, a la very much what Brandon Carr did last year. Not your starting safety, but in a different types of packages when they just want more speed on the field or more D-backs on the field. You could see him take some role, um, some snaps there. Anthony Levine waiting in the wings. It's going to be a combo of all three of those guys. Um, and I've said this, I think I've said this off air more than I have on. Deshaun Elliott is the stereotypical, this guy's incredible training <laughs> camp guy. And granted, he's had some unfortunate injuries and has, hasn't been able to prove himself on the field, but... It's it's a downgrade. It's certainly a downgrade, even though Thomas wasn't at his top, top level. That being said, and we mentioned this last week when we we're talking about this, this position group and all of a sudden a few injuries happen and it becomes not as strong. Even without Earl Thomas, this unit fully healthy should be one of the best in the league. And for a guy like Elliott, he cannot be walking into a better situation to have a guy like Chuck Clark next to him, who I think is quickly going to emerge as one of the better safeties in the league. Um, I, I'm drinking that Kool-Aid all the way to the grave. And then Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Tavon Young is all your corners. He's going to have a little bit of room to make some mistakes. And look, clearly by the amount the guys love him in the locker room, he's paying attention more in the film room. He's committed to, to his craft, unlike the guy he's replacing. So... I'm not going to sit here and say I'm optimistic yet because that's not in my nature, (laughs) but at least he is in a situation where he's going to have some all pro talents and and pro ball talents as well to kind of usher him through some of those early game situations and, um, and to really get him in the flow of things you hope. I would say best case scenario. I mean, this is such a cheesy thing to say, but he's a good system player. You know, when you when you move on, when you get rid of a player who one of the reasons he's no longer in your team is that he couldn't follow essentially his own role in the defense and you replace him with a guy who's just looking, you know, jumping at an opportunity, is that he follows the defense, that follows his role as much as he possibly can. He Bill Belichick's it, he does his job, uh, and and the rest of the superstar talent around him makes the big plays, and he's just there, Deshaun Elliott, doing the role that he needs to do on the team. The bad, the worst case scenario here is that by week four, similar to last season, the Ravens are looking to make a move at that <laughs> position, which I think they'll be able to do. They did it with the linebackers last season, bringing in LJ Fort and, and some other names, and maybe that becomes the case. It, Jace, your point is very well taken that there's no preseason games this year so that position whoever plays that spot is going to be thrown into the fire on week one and uh i'm still excited still excited <laughs> to see it moving on to the next uh thing in panic land with the baltimore ravens is lamar jackson uh who missed two days of practice which initially was quoted as a rest day at least the first day 
by day two, the talk out of the medical staff and the coaching staff was that it was a soft tissue injury and that he was fine. And then by the time he was practicing again, after that two-day break, he now is dealing with a groin injury, which I, I mean, I haven't had a groin injury, but I've certainly known people and runners who have had groin injuries saying that it is the absolute worst thing to have to try to recover from while still wanting to run. Lamar Jackson, as much as he may say it, he he likes to run. He he enjoys that very much. So I'm uh, I have a little bit of concern, but I'll turn to you guys. Am I freaking out too much considering that he's was back at practice today? No, because the Madden curse is real, apparently. <laughs> no, I mean I think the thing that concerns me most about this is kind of how weird it was. Uh, he missed two days of practice, and the first day it was because of a tired arm, which I guess is a thing. They they mentioned that the previous training camp last year, he, he sat out some days because of that. So that alleviated that concern just a little bit. But it then it was a groin injury. So how did he get the groin injury if he wasn't practicing the day before? Because it was definitely just a groin injury, and you could have just said that outright, even though that sends everybody into a panic. I don't want to comment too much on it because this stuff fluctuates so much and we're only a weekly podcast, obviously, but I'm not quite, I'm not concerned yet. If we were sitting here and it was day three <laughs> and it was like, they don't really know when he's going to come back. Yeah. Then it's hit the alarm button, blow up the podcast. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Uh, but, but for now I, I don't have all in all, I'm really not that concerned. Yeah. I think it's just the caginess with the team. That's concerned me more honestly with it because you know ultimately he missed two days practice it doesn't seem like you know the biggest deal he's back practicing the day we record this but um yeah like you said tired arm that's like a baseball injury and you're like huh and then like then it's his groin which you're like that's a different part of his body entirely (laughs) so (laughs) i don't know why and then harbaugh's been not just with lamar john harbaugh's been really you know prickly with the media this week regarding injuries he accused them of sleuthing and trying to be a dick tracy uh trying to be dick tracy i guess and uh yeah i i don't know why i think it's just you know this modified camp because i don't think it's just harbaugh i think teams in general have uh been a little more sh- shadowy shady with the injury reports uh without having any real preseason games to uh, uh you know update on uh so it's been harder to kind of track injuries this preseason than in general but yeah, I'm not really concerned since Lamar's back seemingly but I just don't know why the team has, you know, saying it's different parts of his body that are injured and what's going on. So that's weird. But yeah, no real long-term concerns on this end. <laughs> Last few news and notes to go over while we're while we're here this week on Pod Like a Raven is the Baltimore, the Ravens franchise announced that uh, there would be no fans uh, at M&T Bank Stadium to start the season. Uh, we'll see how long that extends into or whether at some point they'll try to uh, bring in that 7,000 to 14,000 uh, magic number of fans into the stadium. But for now, no fans to start the season, so we all got to be rooting from home. And then another thing I wanted to bring up quickly is uh, Des Bryant's tryout. We we, we brought that up uh, last week. I uh, just wanted to update you on that, that the, the workout, a tryout workout, whatever you want to call it, um, went went fine, but no contract was, was offered 
um, while he was there, which has been a Ravens staple in the past. <laughs> if they bring a guy in for a workout like this and they really, really like him, they have the, the sort of the, the mantra is to not let him out of the building without a contract. So we'll see as as the weeks go on. I think with what happened with Earl Thomas, it's more likely that another safety comes into the building rather than another wide receiver. But, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens with that and, and maybe... As we get closer into September, you know, that that thought of bringing Des Bryant back in um, may may reappear. So that's all that we have, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back around to you for just quick last thoughts on uh, on Earl Thomas and the Ravens and and how I shouldn't be panicking as much as I am this week. Yeah, don't panic. It's fine. He'll be fine. Our Lord and Savior is fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, on Des Bryant, that you nailed it, Antonio. The fact that they let him leave the building tells me he's not he's not joining the Ravens so don't get your hopes up about that there's been a lot of chatter about Miles Boykin out of this which could just be <laughs> training camp fluff who knows I, obviously I would like to see him succeed but it, it, it screams of training camp hero or we just need a puff piece off of this Deshaun or excuse me Des Bryant news um, on the fan stuff it's disheartening obviously the Ravens are taking fan safety first which I think is the right move um, and I think it's interesting that, and this comes from Zarebek again, they are still hoping circumstances might allow a limited number of fans at home games later in the 2020 season. So it looks like for the entire 2020 season, the bank is not going to be full, which is sad, but kind of the reality we're in now, which, you know, is unfortunate. But again, safety comes first with all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, we were uh, trending that way. I feel like, you know, the second they announced limited capacity, you were like, well, this is just a stopgap uh in terms of there being no fans um i wouldn't be surprised i don't know if they like you know unless uh no one else is signing des bryant right so if you like you just like uh um wait until a few days before the season then he could always sign him for cheap uh one final earl thomas note that i thought of that's going to annoy me for sure is when he inevitably signs with the Dallas Cowboys um, and or the New England Patriots yeah, <laughs> and has an all pro like 10 pick season because that'll happen like that's in the books. But I think all in all, even with my reservations on the Deshaun Elliott era, uh, you know, if pretty much all your coworkers hate you, you kind of have to get rid of like, you know the source of the problem and it seems like for the Ravens for the Ravens defense Earl Thomas was the source of the problem so very strange uh definitely a weird uh era and saga in Ravens history that I think we'll look back on and be like remember when we signed Earl Thomas and then they cut him like less than almost a year later uh in you know the middle of August during a pandemic uh oh that'll be something uh as you said I think earlier in the show a, a random raven one day so <laughs> uh definitely weird uh but seemed like something that kind of they had no choice but to do at this point so all right that's gonna do it for us thank you uh tim and jace for coming on doing this uh emergency emergency episode and, and thanks to brian mcfarland as well for for coming on and talking to us we will be back next week at this point. I, we're officially on the on the weekly schedule now. Next week, probably looking to uh, preview maybe the AFC North uh, and the NFL as a whole, maybe get into some some over-unders for, for teams for the season, and that will give us one more 
episode until we do the official Ravens season preview before they kick things off week one against the Cleveland Browns. For Tim Horsey and Jay Evans, I'm Antonio Barbera. Going to go drink a gin and tonic to help me relax after a momentous week in Ravens <laughs> football. Thanks for listening to Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.